And after living as a quadriplegic for 45 years, Johnny Erickson Tata reflected on the diving accident that had changed her life. As a 14-year-old, Johnny had embraced Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. However, she says that she was confused about what it meant to be a disciple, and she, was, she confused the abundant Christian life with the great American dream. Johnny said, I was a Christian, I would lose weight, I would get good grades, I would get voted captain of the hockey team, go to college, marry a wonderful man who made $250,000 a year, and we would have 2.5 children. She says, it was all me-focused. What can God do for me? I almost had thought, she says, that I had done God a great big favor by accepting Jesus Christ. I'm sure some of us have thought that maybe in the past. She says her and her boyfriend were doing things that they shouldn't have been doing together, and, and she realized this. And she came to a point in her life where she prayed to God, and she said that she wanted to be changed. She said, I'm staining your rep reputation as a Christian. I want you to change my life. Please do something in my life that will jerk it right side up because I'm making a mess of the Christian faith. Three months later, she had that accident. She was angry with God. She was frustrated. And she said, oh God, if I cannot die, she wanted to die, then show me how to live. Show me how to live. Johnny realized a few things even before she got to that point, didn't she? She realized that Jesus Christ is Lord over her life. And she was brought to a place where she prays this prayer. And I think, what a wonderful prayer to start the new year for us. Lord, show me how to live. Show me what it means to be your disciple in the context that we find ourselves in. Show me how to live in my marriage. Show me how to live in my family. Show me how to live at my work. Show me how to live in this community that I find myself in. Show me how to live. It's a prayer that we should all pray. And it's a prayer that Jesus kind of shows us here today. In these couple verses... What we find here is a summary of the disciples' life. Jesus does not want us to be confused. He doesn't want us to confuse the disciples' life with the great American dream. So we see this mapped out, and we see it mapped out in three actions that Jesus does to kind of order our life or initiate this disciples' life. Uh, but before we get into those, I'm going to read the passage. It's just a, two verses, so I want to read it first, and then we're going to talk about it and break it down into those three actions. So Jesus says this in verse 16, John, John chapter 15, starting in verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, that your fruit would remain 
so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. Three actions that Jesus does here. The first one is he chooses us to be his friends. So if we were to sum up uh, one of the huge components of our life, and we have been talking about this almost every Sunday throughout this section, that Jesus has called us to share in a life with himself. Jesus has called us or chosen us uh, to be his friends, and that's what he says here. And this, this is a choice not of salvation, even though there are other verses that speak to that. This is a choice of friendship, it's a choice of fellowship, and it's a choice of sharing with, with Jesus and sharing this life. So what I did, you know, the world offers some, some good advice on choosing friends. So what I did was I compared the world's advice to the friends that Jesus has chosen in this context, particularly the disciples. So let's see if Jesus follows the world, world's advice when it comes to choosing friends. So here's, here's the first, first tip that the world says is that you should associate higher you should actually want to climb that ladder in life, so you should, you should find friends that are of a higher status of life, which is absolutely impossible for our Lord and Savior because Jesus is God. So that's impossible, so Jesus does not follow that. As a matter of fact, what does Jesus have to do to become our friend? He has to stoop down to our level, doesn't he? So Jesus condescends to us. How about the second one? You are to find friends with similar values. Luke 9.46, and an argument started among the disciples as to which one of them was the greatest. So here they are. <laughs> Jesus is, is humble. Jesus descends for us. And here the disciples, the friends that he chooses, are fighting over who's the best. So Jesus didn't follow the world's advice on that one. How about this one? Choose friends with, with common goals. Uh, so what's one of the main goals that Jesus has is to save people, isn't it, right? To save us from our sins and to have mercy on his enemies. Luke 9.54, when they were not allowed into Samaria, disciples James and John saw this and they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? So not really, not really tracking along the same lines with friendship, with the, the same goals. How about the same interest? John 4.31 through 33 Jesus is talking about food, spiritual food, uh, by doing his Father's will. And the disciples, uh, he says to his disciples, I have a food that you have nothing, you know nothing about. And they said, who brought him takeout? So they're thinking of their stomachs. Jesus is thinking of spiritual food. And finally, find friends that are dependable. Mark 14, 50, then all his disciples deserted him and ran away. So, oh, oh, for five in the choice of, of, of friendship. Uh, when it comes to Jesus. So Jesus, I, I think what we need to see here is that Jesus chooses us not based on anything in and of ourselves, does he? And he chooses us to be his friends. And it's thankfully not based on how we were going to perform in that friendship later on. Or else all these guys would have been absolutely not even thought of for friends, would they? Why does Jesus choose us? It's out of his will. It's out of his will and it is out of his love, and it is out of his grace. And Jesus picks us from among many. 
It's not like when you were when you're playing those games. You remember, and you you were uh, you wanted to be on that person's team, and and there you were. You might have been the last person there, and you hated that spot. And they would be like, "Oh, okay, Mark, come on, you're the last guy. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna pick you." That's not what it's like with Jesus Christ. Jesus picks us uh, from among many, and this choice is an intensive choice, and it is a choice of love. And what, what does that say to us? What does that say to us about our friendship with Jesus Christ is that it's always there. And even though we may hinder that friendship, and even though we may fail in that friendship, the friendship that we have with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is not based upon us, but it is based upon His choice, and that choice is for all eternity. What an amazing thought. How many people pick friends here? Do we all, we all pick our friends, right? And we, we kind of pick our friends based upon similar interests and things like that and likes and dislikes and all of those things. And how many people remember when you were young? And I don't know about you, but I, I never felt secure in my friendships. Uh, I always felt like I needed to perform for those friendships, I wanted to be part of the cool group, but I was afraid to let them really, really know me because I thought if they really, really knew me, they'd be like, uh, Mark, you're just, you're just not our kind of friend. And I always felt like I had to work at that friendship. And eventually, uh, my friends were no longer my friends after I changed and uh, did some things that they didn't like. And, and, and those friends, they left me. That's not a true friendship. Jesus chooses us out of many, and he chooses us for his purposes, and it is his will, and it is his choice, and he is never going to leave us as his friends. Uh, Jesus, uh, I mean, the Bible talks about Moses, and it talks about Abraham being a friend of God. And what, what an amazing thought that that is, isn't it? That the God of all creation uh, wants to have this relationship with us that he wants to share with us, that he wants to have this fellowship with us, that he wants to include us, as we are about to see, in his life and in the mission that he has chosen us for be, to be. So one of the first aspects that we see, one of the biggest components of our, our lives as Christians is what? To be Jesus' friend. To share in that life with him. And as his friends, he gives us a purpose. So the second aspect, the second action that he does, so the first one is that he chooses us to be his friends. Uh, and the second one is he commissions us to fulfill his purposes, his purpose. So verses, uh, the following verse 16, B and C, I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain that whatever you ask of the Father in my name he will give to you. If you were traveling to outer space, not that any of you are going to travel to outer space anytime soon, but maybe, I don't know, maybe some of you are going to save up money for the, the flight to outer space. That would be an interesting trip. But if you were traveling to outer space, what would you take with you? That's a good question. Photographer Steve Pike got to find out what some of the items of the American astronauts, that, what they felt were significant enough for them to take with them. Starting in 1998, Pike 
began a series of portraits of those who had traveled to space or had walked on the moon in the late 1960s or the 70s. But he also photographed the objects that made the journeys with them, that made the journey with them. They were, there were some wonderfully geeky items, like a, a case that was used to bring the first lunar rock uh, back from on the Apollo 11 in 1969. There was the geological hammer that was used during Apollo 12, but there were also more personal, sometimes surprising artifacts that orbited the earth and even made it to the journey to moon. And these are pictures of some of those artifacts. You have the little Madonna figure, the, 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 the Mary figure. You have uh, a bunch of quotes from individuals. The guy who took the quotes said, uh, I'm taking these quotes because they are a piece of wisdom uh, from the world. And if I were to die, these quotes would remain. Uh, you have a, a bottle of alcohol that they took up there as well. And then uh, that other one is a prayer tablet. Someone else took uh, a copy of, the, uh, copy of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, each lunar astronaut was only allowed two, pot, two pounds of personal items uh, that they could bring back. So the items that they chose can be curious, odd, and personal. He says the objects that are documented here, the quiet and intimate minutiae, give access to the very personal, psychological, and human side to the journey to space. Now, you're not journeying to space anytime soon, not that I'm aware of. If you are, that's pretty cool. Uh, but you are journeying somewhere. And, and Jesus is telling us that we're allowed to take some things with us. Let me ask you a question. What do you want to take to your journey to heaven? Let you think about that as we look at this word uh, for a point. So the word here for a point, it means to lay in a specific place or to put somewhere for a specific purpose. So where does Jesus lay us down? Where does he, what is the sphere? Or what is the realm that he puts us in? So the, the appointment is to two things that coordinate together for the one thing. So it is to go and to pray. Those two things come together so that we do what? Bear fruit. How many people have appointments this week? Anyone have appointments? Probably doctor's appointments, something like that, or whatever it may be. Do you plan on keeping those appointments? How many people plan on keeping those appointments? I hope so. The only appointment that I, or thing that I want to miss is a dentist appointment. Those are the ones that I actually actively look for excuses. I don't think I've been in a dentist in quite some time. Hate the dentist. No offense if you're a dental person. But all the other appointments in life, we look at that as what? Something that is a priority, don't we? Right? So Jesus has done the same thing here. God has commissioned us. He has appointed us to do what? To go and to pray so that we can bear fruit for him. If we want to know what the disciples' life is all about, here you go. And here we have the disciples' relationship to the world. We are to go and we are to pray. We are to bear fruit. So what is the fruit? What is it that can remain? It's people. It's people. In this context, the going and the praying 
and the bearing of fruit is conversions. I hope, I hope that each and every one of us wants to take souls to heaven. Because souls, people, are what remain. That should be our priority. It is, it is absolutely crucial as a disciple of Jesus Christ that we are fulfilling this commission on our lives. And we do it in two ways. We go and we pray. So, and you don't have to go far, do you? You can go to your neighbor. You can go to your hairdresser. You can go to the gas station attendant. You can go to your friends. You can go to your family members. You can go to the dentist. Thank you, Ian. And even witness to the dentist. And this is not just for the disciples. Even though Jesus is talking specifically to his disciples here, this is extended to all of us who are friends with Jesus Christ. Matthew 28 is the Great Commission. It is that, that job that is placed on every single Christian believer. Every single one of us in some form or fashion, should be fulfilling this appointment in some way. This is what he has called us to do, and it's a privilege to share in this task of building his kingdom. It's not just about building our church, and we want to build our church, right? We want our church to grow through conversions. It's about building his kingdom. If we want to know what our purpose is, this is it. He says, I have chosen you and I have commissioned you. I have appointed you. I have given you a very, very specific task. You have been saved by grace. I have extended this grace. I have extended this love. I have extended this mercy. Now your job is to do the same with a lost and dying world. Jesus is going, and now he's sending them in his stead, and he's sending us to do the same. The question is, are we fulfilling it? We're not appointed or commissioned to make wonderful lives for ourselves. We're not commissioned to seek all the ways that we can maintain our comforts. We're not commissioned to make country club churches where we can seek to entertain ourselves as the world is perishing around us. We're not commissioned for that. We're not commissioned to, to look after number one. We're called to make disciples. We're called to preach his gospel. And it's a privilege to do so. And I was, I was so happy the other night when we were at our prayer group 
And someone was praying. And they said, Lord, thank you for allowing us to partake in this mission. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of this. And as, as his friends, he gives, us, he gives us a job to do. It, it's, it's amazing that this statistic is absolutely mind, this is mind-blowing. For some reason, we're not talking about the Great Commission. For some reason, churches are, I don't know what they're focused on. 51% of American churchgoers say they never heard of the Great Commission. Well, what are we talking about then? Because this is, this is like 90% of what we're supposed to be doing. Yes, we're supposed to grow in the image of Christ. Yes, we're supposed to disciple one. But it, it, it's such a massive part of who we are. As our identity in Christ is to, is to not just sit and enjoy salvation for ourselves. It's to go out and proclaim that salvation to a dying world. In Christ alone. They say one in five, one in five say they've heard of the Great Commission and know what it means. One in five just know, understand what the Great Commission is all about. That, that is shameful for a church not to understand. I know, I know we understand it because you're probably like, yeah, Mark, you got to stop talking about it. You talk about it every week. I know we understand that here. But I've hoped that, I hope that we've made this a priority in our personal lives as his disciples. That we, we are called to do this, to fulfill this appointment. And he not, only, he not only tells us the what, he tells us the how. How are we to do that? Uh, part of that is praying. That's how we're to do it. You and I aren't making conversions. You and I have, don't have the power to convert people. Only God Almighty has that power. And He wants us to be dependent upon Him, and He wants us to be praying about this. This is, we're going, and as we're going, we're praying. We're going, and we're praying. Going and praying. Going and praying. And if you look in the book of Acts, if you go to the book of Acts, and you look at how the early church grew, you're going to see those aspects going on. You're going to see two things that happened in the early church. It's the going and the proclaiming of the Word, and it is praying. It's the Word and prayer over and over and over and over and over again. Listen to what they say in Acts 2.42 when it first starts out, when the early church first starts out. They devoted themselves. They, they dedicated themselves to something. This was, a, this was a priority in their life. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And then again, the apostles themselves, we will what? devote ourselves. We will commit ourselves. We will give ourselves to what? Prayer and the ministry of the Word. It's, it's, not the, it's not that they had a great youth group. It's not that they had a great men's fellowship and a great women's fellowship. It's not that they had the greatest worship. It's not that they, they branded their name and they had all these wonderful marketing things and they had all the, the, the new and latest technology. It's that they focused on the word, proclaiming the gospel, and on prayer. That's how people get saved. 
The gospel is the power of God to change lives. Lives like the ones that I'm looking at right now. Just like, just like Mark was saying. Stand firm, right? Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel and pray. Love your enemies and pray. And what's going to happen? People like Saul are going to be transformed, aren't they? Who does that? God does that. That's the only way it's going to happen. The question is, are we, are we praying for that? Is that a priority in our prayer life? And, and what was the result in the early church? They were of one mind. They were together, weren't they? They were united. And they were united in love. They were united in fellowship. And they were united in mission. That's our, that's our goal. That's why we're doing what we're going to do this year. I want us to be united. And united in purpose, too. This is our purpose. It's to fulfill His purpose for us. This is how we do it. And it's a privilege to do so. Martin Luther says this about prayer. He says, as it is the business, or you could say appointment, of the tailor or the commission to, to make clothes and cobblers to make shoes, so it is the commission or the business of Christians to do what? Pray. And to pray for those things that God wants. F folks, that is, that is, what, is what is going to change the world around us is a focused on His Word, allowing His Holy Spirit to convict the hearts and minds of those who don't believe as we go and we preach the gospel and praying that God will change those hearts and minds. And it is a privilege to do so, to, to gather more friends uh, for Jesus Christ. And to love the ones that he already has. Which brings us to our third and final action. He commands us to love his people. So verse 17, this I command you, uh, that you love one another. In, in, both, in both 16, about choosing, and here in the commanding, there's a phrase that should be implied or should come out. And it's the phrase, for myself. I have chosen you for me, for myself, so I can share my life with you, to benefit me, and I have ordered you for myself to love one another. So we love one another in his stead. Year was 1967. Guy tells a story about being in the U.S. Army Ranger School in Fort Benning, Georgia, he says, we were at war with Vietnam. He says, the ranger school was, was brutal. He said, I can still hear the raspy voice of the sergeant. Sergeant saying, we're here to save your lives. We're going to see to it that you overcome all your natural fears. 
We're going to show you just how much incredible stress the human mind and body can endure. And when we're finished with you, you will be the U.S. Army's best, right? Doesn't that motivate you? I used to love when they would, I, I'm just like, no. I, I used, yeah, I, I just gets you the blood flowing. Just, ah. Uh. Then you think that he's going to give them a big task, right? Something awesome. You know, charge the hill with, you know, I don't know, nothing. Run up it. 10 miles. He said, we readied ourselves for something really tough as he was going to give us our first assignment. And he said, find a buddy. <laughs> you know, find a buddy. He says, yeah, find yourself a ranger buddy. I practiced that voice earlier and I sounded Scottish, so that's like the best. It was like, find yourself a ranger buddy. It's like, that's not going to That doesn't sound like a drill sergeant. He said, you will stick together. You will never leave each other. You will encourage each other. And as necessary, you will carry each other. He said, it was the Army's way of saying, difficult assignments require a friend. Together is better. Jesus just gave us a very difficult assignment, didn't he? Where is he sending us? Out there. What's next week? The world is going to hate you. What's he saying? Look around. Your ranger buddies. He sends us on a difficult task, but he doesn't send us alone. And he commands us as, as, our, as our drill sergeant, right? If, any, if we haven't seen anything up until this point, right? Who's, given the, who's, given the, who's doing all the actions here? Jesus Christ, isn't he? He chooses us, he, he commissions us, and he commands us. He, he's ordering our lives. And he's given us a real, real difficult task. That is to go out into this world and to proclaim a message that this world does not want to hear. And to proclaim a message that put Jesus Christ on the cross. Uh, proclaim, proclaim a new error. To proclaim a new life. To tell people that this life is not what it's all about. To proclaim a Lord. When people want to run their own lives, what's going to happen? What happens next week? The world is going to hate you. Therefore, love one another. Therefore, you need, you need each other. Let me, let me tell you something, folks. Your, your friend next to you, right? We all need this. They need your compassion. They need your grace. They need your patience. They need your your encouragement, they need your support, they need your love because this world is not going to give it to them. And we need each other. We need to really, really love each other. If we're going to go out into this world and be hated by this world, we need that love all the more. So we have to put aside all of our petty things that we have. Because we're, 
We're in a war. We're in a battle. We're, in a, we're, we're all called to a mission. And we have to make sure that we're, we're not leaving anyone behind. We have to love each other. And love each other the way that Jesus Christ has loved us, which is what? Unconditional love. Can you imagine if Jesus didn't, if Jesus like picked on us the way that we pick on each other? I mean, right? If he was like, Mark, you know, I, I don't know. I, he would just have a list of things and be like, Mark, you know, you're doing this. You know, this is really kind of bothering me, Mark. I don't know why you did that. Why'd you say that, Mark? Imagine if, we, if Jesus was like us. <laughs> hey, churches would be empty, right? I've always noticed in, in life, in, whether it, when I was working, when I was in the military at Long Creek and now here, that when you're together on a mission and you're working with people that are together on that mission, that camaraderie is just, is that much better. And, and you, you realize that how much you need each other. And we, we see it all the time here. Uh, day camp was always a big example of that. When, when, when all the day camp volunteers, I mean, you're talking about, you want to talk about a war, right? Go to volunteer for day camp for a week. And people are like, you know, bodies are just being dragged out of the church after the end of day camp. People are tired. But whenever I spoke to the volunteers afterwards, they always just told me how united they felt and, and, and just how much that love for one another grew. And, and, and that's, it's just so key. And, and as we go forth and as we're loving one another on this mission, what's the world noticing? That's what they're noticing. Oh, wow, you guys really love each other. You must be Jesus's disciples. You're fulfilling that command. And it, it's a command. How many people have taken these robot, these tests? I, I hate those tests. I never know... Like, if there's a part of the crosswalk in the box, do I have to click that? Because I've, I'll take them over and over and over again, and I'm thinking, I'm just not getting, I'm a dumb, I'm a robot or something, something's wrong with me. I like this one because it says Bridges, and do you notice Jeff Bridges up there? So would you pick Jeff Bridges on that one? But, you, you know, and this is just to make sure you're what? Not a robot, right? Because they don't know if you're a, you know, real person going through their website. Do you know that? that John, the, the one who's writing this, is actually going to give us a test later on. And it's a test to make sure you're not a robot Christian. And he gives three things to make sure you're, you're not a robot. The first one is doctrine. He tests you in your doctrine. And basically he says, if you deny that Jesus is the Christ, yeah, you might want to... When I think about your Christianity, I don't think it's really there. It might be check robot. The second one is obedience. If you are habitually living in a life of sin, if you're constantly practicing, it's not, not just falling into sin once in a while, but if you are like living in a life of sin, walking in darkness, you might want to think about it. And what's the third one? This right here love of each other. As, and a matter of fact, he, he couples it with our love for God. And he uses a really logical way to figure it out. He says, whoever claims 
that they love God but hates a brother or sister, you're a, you're a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen, if I can't love you who I see, how can I claim to love God who I don't see? That's pretty, pretty good logic, John. My brother and sister who's next to me, hurting, if I'm not loving them, how, how can I claim to love God? How can I claim to love God who sent His Son to die for that brother and sister in Christ? It, it makes no sense. D.A. Carson says this, Christians must therefore be aware of the, the creeping bitterness and resentment that tend to well up in the body or hatred in the body and they need to expunge it with love as quickly as possible. The so-called Christian group that reflects no love and concern at all is simply not Christian, regardless of the orthodoxy of its beliefs. There's orthodoxy and there's orthopraxy. Orthodoxy is right belief. Orthopraxy is what? Right practice. This is how we live it out. It's love. So if Satan, if Satan can't get us out there, what do you think Satan's going to try to do? He's going to try to get us in here, isn't he? Because he, he uses what? Divide and conquer. Right? The, uh, the, the uh, Captain America Civil War. Great example, right? It's like Zemo. Everyone, you didn't see it. You should watch it. That's what he does. He infiltrates inside and they fight each other and they divide. Divide and conquer. And where is Satan going to hit us? And how is he going to make us ineffective out there is he's going to hit us right in here. He's going to want us fighting against each other over the, the color of a carpet or the, or, or the decorations that are hanging or whatever it may be. And if he can get us divided in here, we're going to be ineffective out there. Love one another. I cannot tell you again and again and again how absolutely crucial this is to a healthy, healthy fellowship in the church. Put aside all our petty arguments, all our preferences, all our opinions, and just love each other with the love that Christ has for us. That's an unconditional, sacrificial love. And when we do that, we're going to be that much more effective out in this world. And it's all for who? For Him. So go back to our question. Show me how to live. The summary of the disciples' life. If you wanted to summarize it in two words, it's for Him. You and I exist for Jesus Christ. Our life. What a, what a New Year's resolution. What a New Year's resolution. I am going to lay my entire life at your feet, Lord. Show me how to live. He chose us to be his friends for 
himself. He commissions us to fulfill his purpose. And he commands us to love his people. Our lives belong to him. And and my hope hope and prayer is that each and every single one of us, as we start out this new year, realize this and live it out in this church and out in this community. Father, thank you. Thanks for your word. The flower will wither and the grass fades, but your word will stand forever. I pray that we apply this through and through our our hearts, our minds, our attitudes. Lord, in that in all of our all of the areas of our lives that we realize we exist for you. We belong to you. We're your friends. You've called us for a very, very specific purpose. Lord, and we exist to love each other as you have loved us. Lord, we, we often fail in this. We cannot do this apart from your grace, apart from your Holy Spirit. So we pray, Lord, that you help us in this area. Lord, and that we can bring you glory in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.